Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Happy Sabbath. God is good. All the time, God is good. Andrew, I'm going to need you to, you know, be my PowerPoint man. So this is part two of last week's uh, sermon on the single life. And we're going to take this a little bit further today. And we ended with the Psalms 119, 9 through 10. It says, how can a young man, and in our age we say young woman, keep his or her way pure? And the answer to that question offered by the psalmist says, by keeping it according to your word, with all your heart have I sought you, do not let me wander from your commandments. We learned that a man and a woman must be able to leave father and mother to form their own home in order to date appropriately because becoming one flesh is not just about physical intimacy. It's about being one in mind, body, and spirit. We spend more time in the rest of the house than in the bedroom. And so we need to be compatible, mature, both spiritually, physically, financially, in order to form a proper union. The majority of married couples' lifetime is spent outside of marital intimacy, and you have to be, make sure you're compatible in all aspects of life if God is calling you to be married. And this is what I set out to do. I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony when I met with Lurie when I wanted to find a wife. Lurie is the only woman I've ever dated as a fully converted man. <coughs> Lurie's the only woman I've ever dated as a fully converted man. The question, though, for me, as I was looking for my wife as a single man, was how I was going to go about to do that. See, I had so many preconceived notions in my mind of how I used to date. One thing about the grace of God is that the grace of God will forgive you, the grace of God will accept you, but the grace of God will not wipe out your memory. The grace of God will not wipe out what you used to be and who you used to be as far as memory-wise. I no longer had those inclinations. I no longer had those desires. But the memories I had acquired were still part of my life. <coughs> but I wasn't looking for a woman like the ones I used to date before. I was looking for a woman more in love with Christ than she would be with me. So I couldn't approach women, a woman I wanted to marry, the same way I used to. I needed a new paradigm shift. I needed to think about this differently. So I did what I know to do. I dove into the Word of God and I went to find counsel in our church's rich tradition. If I wanted things to be different, I had to do things differently listen to this first quote go to the first quote she says marriage in the majority of cases is a most galling what yoke there are thousands that are mated but not matched 
The books of heaven are burdened with the woes, the wickedness, and the abuse that lie hidden under the marriage mantle. This is why I would warn the young who are of marriageable age to make haste slowly in the choice of a companion. How do you make haste slowly? The Bible tells us that I'd rather be on the rooftop, right, than in a home with a contentious woman or man. Because marriage can be a what? A galling yoke if you get it wrong. There is grace, things can improve, but it's better to get it right from the get-go than to have to make changes within. Listen to this next quote. She says, love is a sentiment so sacred but that but few know what it is. It is a term used but not understood. The warm glow of impulse, the fascination of one young person for another is not love. It does not deserve the name. True love has an intellectual basis, a deep thorough knowledge of the object loved. And so as I was reading things like this and reading from the Bible not to awaken love before it's time, I understood in my life that if I wanted to make the right choice, I had to do things differently. So the first key I discovered, where in the past I would approach a girl to get to know her, I began a process of elimination even before I began to know a girl. In the past, I would approach a girl that I found physically attractive, and we would start a conversation, perhaps go on a date, and what would eventually happen in the world is you start developing feelings, and you are thinking, well, perhaps this may lead to marriage. Now I understood to do it God's way, to do it the right way. And by the way, what I'm saying is descriptive of what I did, not prescriptive of what everybody has to do exactly. But the principles should be part of it. I was 36 years old when I met Lori. So I was getting older. So I didn't have time to date for a year or two and then find out, well, this ain't going to work. Make slowly. Yeah, make haste slowly. So how would I do it? I said to myself, I had to change my paradigm. Instead of getting wanting to get to know a girl I started by a process of elimination and here are certain things before I decided to approach anyone that I had to make a commitment to myself based on the word of God and based on our church's tradition and history no woman and I'm talking from my perspective as a male but a woman can apply it for herself no woman of man that wasn't of my faith I would even approach and trust me, there are beautiful women in the world, but can two walk together lest they be agreed? The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. I knew, second point, is that I knew I had to make my intentions known right away. I wasn't coming to mess around. That's why some of you know the very first thing I wrote to Lurie when I saw her profile and I saw everything that I 
was physically attractive. I don't want you to marry anybody that you're not physically attracted to, but I was physically attracted. I read her profile. We met on Adventist Singles Connect. Everything matched up, everything she said, everything. So my very first question to Lurie was, when do you want to get married? <laughs> I'm not kidding around. I know I sound crazy. And I know we have to then meet each other and make sure it's compatible. But I want you to know from the get-go that I'm looking for marriage, not for messing around. By the way, her profile as well said, looking for marriage, not for games. Now think about it. When you approach a girl or a guy the old-fashioned way, the world's way, you can perhaps spend a year or two under... I've been <coughs> you could spend a year or two and then let's say you don't go beyond the biblical boundaries everything was kosher but you could spend a year or two emotionally attached to someone who in the end is not compatible Right, And you've wasted, you have stolen affections because if you're the one breaking up, then you've wasted their time. And if they break up with you, they've wasted your time if you're even old enough to be dating and responsible and all that. So when you do it the, the way the Bible and the spirit of prophecy led me to do it, it allowed me and Lurie to ask each other questions without letting feelings get in the way. It allowed us to get to know who we are at principles without the emotions of physical touch or without the emotions of catching feelings before it's time. If you knew that the guy that was going to approach you or the guy you wanted to approach was thinking marriage right away, would you even waste a day or two with them if you don't find them either attractive or they have characteristics that you know are not what you want? Nope. It becomes an entire different ball game when you approach with that manner. And so Laria and I, we spoke about everything. You name it, we spoke about it. How many times we were going to be intimate? We spoke about the fact that how do you feel that you make more money than I do? How do you feel that our bank accounts are going to be joined? How many children do you want? How soon do you want children? And this is going to sound rough, but we even asked about our diet. If our diets weren't compatible, we weren't going to get together. And you can walk away, right? When, at that point because there are no feelings attached but there isn't a subject that we did not speak about finances our parents homeschooling what happens with your job once we have children there's trust me there's not a subject we didn't speak about and all of this was done long distance and online but as we started matching up and things started, and by the way, we were asking each other open-ended questions, not leading questions. In fact, I asked her the question, ready ladies? How do you feel about Ephesians chapter 5? Women submit to your husband. 
Uh, see, see, she took it the wrong way right away. See, because as a minister, I have dealt with women who look at that verse and say they must be a doormat to their husband. I wasn't looking for a doormat. I was looking for an equal who will stand by my side and lead me and my children or we lead each other to the kingdom of God. I wasn't looking for a doormat. Now, Larie, from her standpoint, she grew up with Caucasian friends and Asian friends. So she always thought she was going to marry either a Caucasian man or an Asian man. And so when I asked her Ephesians 5, and she knows I'm Hispanic, and unfortunately she's had a couple of Hispanic friends that were machista, she was like, oh no, where's this guy going with this? Be careful. So I asked her the open question, what do you think of Ephesians 5? <laughs> and she replied the way she should reply, the biblical way. And I, and I remember her using the quote from Ellen White where she says, a woman should never lose her individuality to her husband, for she is just a, a, a child of God as the husband is. I was like, yes, thank you. Because too many women take that verse to mean they should be a doormat for their husband. Another thing I was looking for and that we asked each other is that we wanted to make sure she was physically mature. She was in her 30s, emotionally stable and spiritually my equal. Right? I did not want to finish raising someone spiritual. And now, me being a pastor, this is going to, maybe it's just for pastors, but I asked her at that moment, what are you studying in your devotional life? She said, I'm studying the subject of hell. <laughs> because how many people <laughs> take the subject of hell as a personal hobby? But that's what she was doing. And as the emails, we have 70 pages of Word documents, as the emails kept going back and forth, open-ended questions, not leading questions, the feelings naturally started to come to the point where Larie said, we need to meet. I'm starting to fall in love with a piece of paper. <laughs> so it was three and a half months later after initially meeting that we arranged to meet. Now, we did that and tried to do it God's way as well. I'm a grown man. I could fly out to Oregon where she was living, rent a hotel, drive to see her, rent a car, drive to see her, or she can come pick me up. But how would it look, right, when the Bible says avoid all appearance of evil, for a single woman to pick me up at a hotel? Yeah, yeah it just doesn't look good. So Larie told me this afterwards, but she was smart and it saved me some money and travel. She said, let me, she had a free ticket. She said, let me go visit my parents. And she said in her mind, she was thinking over these five days, I will know in day one or two, if there's physical chemistry, right? If there's chemistry to continue going forward. And if it doesn't work out, I'll send them on his way. And I'd spend five days visiting my parents. <laughs> And I was like, you know, yeah, she's smart, right? 
But uh, from my end, I was like, I'm only two hours away from Waco. I like saved myself a plane trip. And her parents, by the way, said, no, 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 no. You don't have to keep driving from Waco. I mean, from College Station to Waco. You don't even have to take a hotel. You can sleep in the downstairs bedroom or living room. From her parents' standpoint, there was like, keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. So they were evaluating me. But before I ever met Larie physically, I met her parents for three hours first. Now, Larie didn't tell me they were going to show up at my church until the Friday night before they showed up that Sabbath. But we spent three hours together talking about the relationship and where it was going. Remember last week where we read the quote that it said, any young man dating a girl behind the parent's back is an abomination to the Lord or stealing of affection and breaking the fourth commandment. We did everything out in the open. Let me back up here a second. Not only was I not looking at women from the world, I did not want to be unequally yoked even within Adventism because Adventism is a white spectrum and I'm not going to, for those of you who may know Spectrum Magazine, which is far left Adventism, I wasn't going to date a woman from the far left Adventism when I am myself a conservative man. And so Lurie as well met that criteria and we spoke about wedding ring. We don't wear it. And the reason I don't wear it besides some theological reasons is that when I was in the world and, and it's, and if you wear one, there's nothing wrong with that. But when I was in the world, I saw too many women in clubs with wedding rings conveniently taking them off when it was convenient. And on the flip side, I saw too many men put them on just for going out in the club because it signified a good time without any commitment. So we spoke about men and women roles, raising children, that she made more money than I. Ephesians 5, we spoke about entertainment, music, handling our finances and where we want to live and work. We took the emotional feelings out of the relationships initially, laid our cards out on the table as as the questions began to match, the feelings grew naturally on a firm foundation of the word of God and our church's rich history. When we finally met in person, it was like we knew each other for years. In fact, that Friday night, because we met on a Wednesday, that Friday night, we both dreamt that this was the right thing to do. As a matter of fact, when I first met her, I had to ask her how much she weighed. And I know I, was, I had to apologize. I was like, look, you know, normally you don't ask this, but I need to know how much you weigh. I can't tell you why either. So I picked her up at her house on that first date. And her grandmother, Mary Lee, because her parents, it took a while for me to win them over. But her grandmother, as she saw us leave, we were, had the windows down and we were laughing. And her grandmother said, he's the one. She's going to marry him. 
How did grandma know? Hopefully because the spirit was leading. It's like we had known each other for years. From the get-go, we knew what the intentions were. From the get-go, everything we wanted spiritually matched. And we knew that we were headed on the right path, but we didn't stop there. We also arrange weekends so I can spend a weekend with her and her friends. See, because love is blind, but your friends are not. And so we spend an entire weekend where their friends can grill me and ask me questions and take me out on a walk by myself so they can ask me questions without Laurie. But right after that weekend, a couple of weekends later, we went to my friends so they can ask her questions. We even did premarital counseling, two separate counselors, because we wanted to make sure we were doing it God's way. Met on a Wednesday. Oh, by the way, the reason I asked her for her weight, because our first date, we went to SeaWorld. Why did we go to SeaWorld? Well, because I wanted a place where we can talk, and if the talk wasn't going well, then you can look at Shamu for a bit. <laughs> but we went to SeaWorld, but before SeaWorld, I took her on a helicopter trip and they needed over San Antonio, and they needed to know how much both of us weighed. And that's why. So it was a nice surprise. That Sabbath, we met on a Wednesday, that Sabbath, we went to visit a pastor couple friend of ours in Galveston. And I was so under the impression that this was going to work out, that this was going to be the woman I married, that I was overwhelmed with the feeling of love. Now, in my mind, having dated the opposite, the world's way, I was having a battle internally. Good angel, bad angel, or whatever you want to call it. Because I wanted to express to Lurie that I loved her. But in the world's way, if you are on your third time meeting somebody and you tell them you love them, eh -eh, that's not going to work. But I kept saying to myself in my head, if this woman is a godly woman, if this woman is actually looking for marriage and we are so compatible up to this point, then that won't matter. Because if it does matter, if that becomes an issue, then she wasn't the one for you. So there on the beach of Galveston, I looked her in the face and I said, I love you. We held hands, walked on the beach, and later she reciprocated the feeling. We knew then and there that we were headed towards marriage. Twelve years later, three kids later, here we are. But you know, the world does it a different way. And I'm reading a book. Can you show the next slide? Love Thy Body by Nancy R. Pierce. By the way, it's the same author of the book you lent me on Romans answering hard questions about life and sexuality. And I'm going to show some quotes that I want you to read because if you're old enough to read them, then you're old enough to hear the message. But if you can't read them, I'm not going to read them out loud so kids aren't asking you what that word means. Right. Well, we're not going there yet. But it's actually worse. Society today is worse the dating culture today is worse than when I experienced it. And single people 
are under the pressure, whether you're young or old or single, are under the pressure, and society's under the pressure that sexuality has become the center focus of who you are and what defines you as a person. See, God hasn't called us to loneliness as a single. He's called us to holiness with him. Marriage is not for gratification. It's a form of sanctification. Either way, whether you're married or you're single, God has called us to be holy in him. But the world has it the opposite. They have fixated on one aspect of the human body, one aspect of society, one aspect that defines who you are. Listen to this or read this first quote. I'll read, I'll skip some of the words. It says, if you have not talked with the young people lately, you may not realize how soulless the hookup culture is. A hookup can be any level of physical involvement from kissing. According to the rules of the game, you are not to become emotionally attached. No relationship, no commitment, no exclusivity. The script is that you are supposed to be able to walk away from that act, from the experience, as if it did never happen. In matter of fact, she goes on to say in the rest of the book that young men and women <coughs> the young men and women are meeting with psychologists to separate the emotions of intimacy from the physical act that it is deemed you are deemed immature childish and clingy to catch feelings when you give yourself away how sad the world. Go to the next quote. It says, imagine the surprise when scientists discovered that oxy oxytocin is also released during, especially but not exclusively in women. Consequently, the desire to attach to the other person when we have intimacy is not only an emotion, but also part of our chemistry. Oxytocin has been shown to create a sense of trust as one Therapist puts it, when we have intimacy, we create an involuntary chemical commitment. The hookup culture is teaching that there is no strings attached, friends with benefits. But the reality is that every time you give yourself away, outside of the confines of the biblical mandate, you are separating yourself further from Christ. Not he from you but you from Christ to the point where you become emotionless and detached from what God has called in Genesis to be a blessing. Go to the last quote. The upshot is that even if you think you're having a no strings attached hookup, you are in reality creating a chemical bond, whether you mean to or not, and a vice an advice columnist for Glamour magazine warns that because of hormones, we often get prematurely attached. Even when you intend to just have casual, biology might trump your intentions. That may be why Paul said, whoever sins, sins against their own body. It involves our body down to the level of our biochemistry. The same holds true for men. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
beginning in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of who? Christ. Is it only single people's bodies that are members of Christ or married people's bodies? Everybody who is surrendered to Christ is a member of Christ. Shall then I then take away the member of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be, the Bible says. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says the two shall become what? One flesh. And it should not just be centered on intimacy. It should be centered in and under the umbrella of Christ in holy matrimony. And it should be both physically, spiritually, emotionally, and in every way possible. We are not just physical beings. We are spiritual and emotional beings. He goes on to say, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him, whether married or single. Flee immorality. Free every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. You know the Bible, not the Bible, scholars and psychologists, the best form of intimacy, despite what this degenerate world tells you, is in a committed Christ-centered relationship, marriage with God. The happiest men and women when it comes to intimacy are those who do it under the banner of Jesus Christ. When you give yourself to someone outside of the confines of marriage, you separate yourself from Christ. You become something you weren't meant to be. It's like the image of God begins to dim in you the more you indulge. As the quote says, you join yourself to the enemy. And it's the opposite for those who remain single in Christ. See, the, to remain single in Christ and to do it his way, you have an opportunity to draw closer to him. You have an opportunity to grow in holiness without having to worry about things married couples worry about. To be more intimate with your maker, to know him more, to follow him closer, to know what it, it is to truly die to self and know that you are loved, one in Christ and made holy by Christ and in Christ. To the married folk, I say, single people are not deficient or need to be pitied. Look at verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. It says, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I am, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Remember, married people, single people are not deficient. They're not to be pitied. They're to be loved, 
They're to be encouraged. A couple that taught me a lot about marriage took me into their home. They had been married for 25 plus years. They had daughters of their own. One who was married and one who was looking for marriage. They loved me. They told me I was loved even if I should remain single. In fact, Laurie, early on in our conversation said, and by the way, when you try to do it God's way, he will inspire you with what to say if, if it's the right person. Laurie told me in an email, dead serious, she said, I am prepared to be single for the rest of my life until I find the man God wants for me. And I remember as replying, feeling inspired by God to reply. I understand. But I know the plans that I have for you. A plan for a future and a hope. Because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was leading me to this woman. Will I eventually marry? Look at verse 32 in chapter 7. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. To the older single people, if God has a spouse for you, he will reveal that, but no need to hunt for it. But you have such a blessing and an opportunity that as we saw from scripture that sometimes I have to turn down ministry opportunities because I have to worry about my wife and children. In fact, one time I had a chance to visit with a lovely couple. But I had to turn it down because the kids cannot be out of their house, at least a one-year-old, from 8 in the morning till 10 p.m. They'll just go nuts. And so there are opportunities I have to give up because I'm married. I don't regret my marriage. It's just a fact. But if you're single and older, you're not defined by your relationship. There's only one relationship that defines you, and that's your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Amen. He knows what you need from the beginning until the end. He lived a single life. He knows what it is. Paul lived a single life. He knows what it is. They wrote more about marriage <coughs> and relationships, and yet they were single. What a blessing you could be to your parents or to your family as a single person. What a blessing you could be to the church. And this talks about holiness, but doesn't mean you have to lock yourself up in some monastery just serving the Lord. You have an opportunity to bring in other singles to your home and teach them what it is to live single in Christ. I'm not defined, you're not defined by your relationship status. You're defined by your relationship to Jesus Christ.
The Bible gives us examples of deep love, intimate love, that didn't cross the boundaries between friends, David and Jonathan. Daniel and his friends, the disciples who remained single, willing to die for the cross of Christ. But above all else, they were willing to do it God's way. The hookup culture tells you that you must satisfy your body at any cost. At any cost to your emotional well-being, to your physical well-being. But God says, you want peace? You want the best? Do it my way. Do it God's way. But what about for people like me who did it the world's way? And who lives with those regrets, even though I know I've been forgiven. There's grace. There's always grace. And the biggest reminder of that grace in my life is the woman that I married. Had she met me in the world, she would have not even given me a second look. But grace and love covers a multitude of sins. And even though I deal with some of my past, I know I've been forgiven. And I know that God is faithful to keep me until that day. Yes, I live with my past. Yes, I have shared my past with my wife. But I'm not defined by my past. I'm defined by who I am in Christ. And should I ever be single ever again through becoming a widow or any other unfathomable reason? I know I'm secure in Christ. I've learned to do it his way. And when you learn to do it his way, you will never want any other way. Stay faithful to Christ, whether single or married, and he will bring you home to glory. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.